A couple of years ago, I heard a story about an actor who was playing the part of Jesus Christ in the Passion Play. And as he carried his cross up the hill, a man in the audience began heckling him. He made fun of him, and he shouted insults at him. And finally, the actor had taken just about all that he could, so he threw down his cross, walked over to the man, and punched him right in the nose. Well, after the play was over, the director told the actor, I know that man in the audience was a great big pest, but I just can't condone what you did. Besides, you're playing the part of Jesus, and Jesus never retaliated. So promise me you'll never do anything like that again. Well, the actor who was playing Jesus promised he wouldn't. But the next night, the heckler was back again, worse than the night before. And finally, the actor exploded and punched him out again. The director, after the show, said, that's it. I have to fire you. We just can't have you behaving the way you are, especially playing the part of Jesus. Well, the actor fell on his knees and begged him, please, please give me another chance. I really need this job, and I know I can handle it if it happens again. And so the director showed mercy and decided to give him one more chance. The next night, as Jesus was carrying his cross up the hill, sure enough, the heckler was there again. You could tell that the actor was doing everything he could to control himself, but the man was about to get the best of him. Jesus was clenching his fists and gritting his teeth and turning all red in the face. Finally, Jesus threw down that cross walked right up to the heckler, shoved his finger in his face and said, you just wait. After I come out back from the dead, meet me outside the theater and we'll take care of this once and for all. Well, we all know how hard it can be to love some people. <laughs> it can be hard to love someone in our own family and it can certainly be hard to love a perfect stranger. As a Christian, we try to carry our cross, but if someone crosses us, often we lose our cool, and we act out in much the same way that someone who isn't a Christian would behave. And that's because we can't do it alone. We can't love more just by trying harder. We need the Holy Spirit to help us live out the character of Jesus. If we ever hope to love other people with patience, kindness, endurance, encouragement, and sacrifice, we're going to have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to increase those things in us. We cannot manufacture unconditional love without the Spirit controlling all areas of our mind, our will, and our emotions. We need the Holy Spirit to produce Christ-like love in our thinking, our attitudes, and our actions. True love, spirit-driven love, is never self-centered. I'll be reading today 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Hear the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is part in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Unlike the actor in the story that I started off with, we don't want to be just acting the part of Jesus. We want to actually live with the character of Jesus alive in us and growing in us. And so how do we go from a place where we just want to punch in the face someone that gets on our last nerve to living a life of unconditional love for others, no matter how they might treat us? Well, first of all, we learned last week that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, the eternal God who has existed before all time, who exists now and will exist forever. Today is actually Trinity Sunday, the Sunday on the church calendar when the triune nature of God is lifted up and celebrated. The eternal God who exists as the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit or the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Throughout all of Scripture, there are lots of things that the Holy Spirit does in the world, both in the lives of unbelievers, but especially in the lives of believers. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, the Spirit is at work in the lives of both unbelievers and in believers too. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of people who are even unaware of it. We call this provenient grace, or the grace which comes before our awareness that we even need the grace of God. So the Spirit convicts us of our sin and calls us to repentance 
to turn our life around, to stop following the ways of the world and to start following the ways of God. The Holy Spirit calls us to a total surrender to God. Now, sometimes we resist surrendering, don't we? We may try for years and years to make it all on our own, to be good enough, rich enough, successful enough, secure enough. Sometimes we try and carry the whole world on our shoulders, don't we? In his book, Believe and Belong, Pastor Bruce Larson writes about one way that he often used to help people that he was counseling who were struggling with surrendering their lives to Christ. His office was in New York City, so sometimes he would turn to the person counseling and said, come take a short walk with me. And together they would walk to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. And there they would see that enormous statue of Atlas, muscles straining, trying to carry the entire weight of the world on his shoulders. And Pastor Larson would turn to his companion and he would say, now that's one way to live, trying to carry the world on your shoulders. But now, come across the street with me. For you see, on the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there, behind the high altar, is a little shrine to the boy Jesus perhaps when he was eight or nine years old, and there's a statue of Jesus there, and he is holding the world effortlessly in the palm of one hand. You see, we have a choice to make. We can try and carry the whole world on our shoulders, or we can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, my whole world. You see, the Holy Spirit leads us to the place where we can surrender our world, our whole world, to Jesus. And once we surrender ourselves to Christ, then the Holy Spirit regenerates us or makes us new again, renews us. Paul, in his letter to Titus in chapter 3, speaks about regeneration and about the action of the Holy Spirit in this way. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy and then Paul says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit continues to work in us, eventually helping us to reach our full potential or the fullness of Christ. And we call this sanctifying grace or sanctification. As we submit ourselves to the working of the Spirit in our lives, He helps us turn from our own selfish desires to the things that God desires. We are taught in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, that if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. 
For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. (coughs) Pardon me. So instead of indulging our sinful nature, we're instructed to serve one another in love. For the entire law of God is summed up in a single command, love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. So as the desires of the flesh become less and less, the fruit of the Spirit increases in our lives. Paul lists some of the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians 5, 19. We read about that in our Bible reading plan this past week. Paul says that they are obvious, which they are, things like sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But then Paul goes on to list the fruit of the Spirit, those qualities or characteristics that the Spirit cultivates and increases in us throughout our life of following Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love has to be what motivates everything we do. And so I want to focus for the rest of our time on Paul's words for us in 1 Corinthians. According to what is written there, what does love look like? And what does love not look like? And I'm going to ask you to hang in there with me because if we are really honest with ourselves, I believe that these words will not be particularly easy for us to hear. I'll tell you, as I wrote and worked on this sermon this past week, even as I read it over one more time this morning in the darkness of my living room in the chair, getting ready for this morning, the Holy Spirit was at work in me, convicting me of some of these same things. Paul starts by telling us that love is patient. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud unless you want to. But how are you doing with patience? How patient are you? Are you patient with your spouse? Are you patient with your kids? Are you patient with yourself? How patient are you with that prayer request that you've lifted up to God, but he seems to keep taking his sweet time about answering? How patient are you with that person who hurt you really bad? What's the next thing that love is? Oh yeah, it's kind. Again, I'm not looking for shout outs, but how are you doing on kindness? How kind are you when your patience runs low or runs out? Are you kinder to strangers than you are to your own family sometimes? How kind are you to the church member who hurts you? How kind are you with the things that you post on your Facebook or Twitter account? How kind are you with the words that you speak? How are you doing with kindness? Okay, next, what is love not? Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. How are you doing there? Love does not insist on its own way. Ouch. Love is not irritable or resentful 
out again. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. I find that amazing. Love bears all things. It doesn't just bear the things that are easy to bear. It just doesn't bear the things that it wants to bear. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now one day, everything else will come to an end. This world will come to an end. This earthly life that we live will come to an end. One day, we're going to have answers for every one of our questions One day, all that partial stuff that we know now will be known in completeness, we're told. God is going to fill in all the blanks for us. He will answer every question we've ever had, and we will know fully just the same as God already knows us fully and completely and loves us fully and completely. One day, faith will come to an end. For you see, faith is believing in what we cannot see, but one day we will see all that we cannot now see, and faith will come to an end. One day hope will come to an end, for our hope is now in that which God has promised to us. But one day God will fulfill every promise that he's ever made, and our need to place our hope in them will come to an end. But love Love never ends. God is love. And God has no end. And so, therefore, love has no end. And so we've got to grow in in Christian love our whole life long. Now, if you're human, and I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone here today is human. And if you're honest with yourself, really honest Maybe you found that you fell short. Maybe you even felt guilty or ashamed or convicted as we talked a moment ago about how we're doing in some of those areas of what love is and what love is not. And it's okay because I assure you, I felt the same way. But here's the good news. That just as God has saved us by the cross and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, so God is leading us on to be perfected in Christian love by the cross and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we call this sanctification, going on to perfection, being made perfect in love. And what this means is that we believe that the same grace of God that that wooed us, that called us to himself, that, that provenient grace before we were even aware of it, is the same grace of God that saved us and justified us with God and is the same grace that will continue to shape us more and more and more into the likeness of Christ during our entire lifetime of following Christ. We believe that it was the power of God that found us in the first place. And it was the power of God that claimed us and forgave us. And we believe that it is the power of God that is completely perfecting us in love. So here's what I'm discovering. Somehow, we participate in this process. Love is not a feeling. Love doesn't just happen. To love like God 
is a conscious choice. If we don't choose to love the one who we think is unlovable, if we don't choose to love the one who hurt us, then we never, ever will. Love is a choice. And love can be hard work. And we'll get it right sometimes. And we will absolutely blow it other times. But love is a choice. And the Christian who has chosen love never gives up trying to love more. So part of what I'm discovering is that love is a choice. And the other part of what I'm learning is that if I want to love God completely, then I have to surrender myself completely to God. Although I know that I I have to participate with God in learning to love God and love my neighbor as I do myself fully, I also know that I can never, ever do it under my own power. I can't practice it enough. I can't be good enough. I can't get good enough. And so I'm learning to say, God, here are all the places that are just too hard for me. I surrender them to you. Do what you want to do with them. Do what you want to do with me. Make me into the person you want me to be. Now, I don't recommend that you ever do something like that lightly. Because if you give God control, God will take control. But my friends, there is nothing greater or more fulfilling in the world than to give God control and to see him go to work in your life. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a warm, fuzzy thing that we feel inside. Love is a choice. And love, it always points us to the cross. For you see, Jesus, in his infinite love for us, chose to die on the cross for us. Jesus surrendered his will to the will of God and expressed God's love for us with a rawness and a purity that is inexpressible. Our love for God and for our neighbor will also inevitably point us to the cross because we have to die to ourselves first if we ever hope to love fully and in loving fully find the life that truly is life Life as God intended it. As we die to ourselves, as we live into the life that God intends for us, the Spirit will teach us and lead us into loving others. The Spirit will conform us until we think like Christ, until we act like Christ, until our attitudes are like Christ's. Someone once said, Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. I love that saying. I think I'm going to get a five-by-seven card and write it on it and stick it on my bathroom mirror where I'll see it every morning to remind me that I want my mind to be the mind of Christ. I'm going to take another one, and I'm going to write that same thing and put it on my desk over in the annex in the office because at some point during the day, I'm going to forget that I want my mind to be like the mind of Christ. I'm going to take a third one. I'm going to write that. I'm going to put it in my car because that's where I often need it the most. I don't know about you. For my thinking to become more like Christ, I need to fill my mind with God's word. 
And I need to be aware when my thinking does not align with how I think Christ would think and then turn my mind back to Christ. And I need to ask the Holy Spirit to shape my thinking and to make it more like Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit also conforms us and helps us to be more like Christ in our actions. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul begins this letter by telling the Colossians that their reputation for loving people, their action for loving people, precedes them. Paul had heard about the Colossians' love for all the saints and that it was Epaphras who told Paul about the Colossians' love in the Spirit. You see, Christian love comes from the Holy Spirit. It's an action, not just an emotion. Love actually grows out of our life in Christ. Christian love is the decision we make to act in the best interest of other people and not in our own best interest. Finally, the Holy Spirit helps shape our attitude into the attitude of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 helps us know just what the attitude of Christ really is. Jesus was all about humility, humbling himself before God and before others. Although Jesus was in his very nature God, he humbled himself and became obedient to, to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. At the end of last week's sermon, we asked the Holy Spirit to give us power. And this week, through our reading and in this message, we've been learning that we also need to ask for passion the passion of the Spirit, the love of the Spirit, the zeal of the Spirit, which is what propels us to love others. John Wesley told the early Methodists to be the most zealous of all for love. He called love the queen of all graces. Love is the highest perfection on earth or in heaven. Love is the very image of the invisible God. And so today, let's ask the Holy Spirit to invade our life, to fill our hearts with unconditional love and a passion to serve others out of that love. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come and invade our hearts with a passion that only you can give to us. Holy Spirit, prune away from us all of those things that are selfish and of our flesh that keep us from being Christ-like. And instead, Holy Spirit, cultivate in us and increase in us a great fruitful harvest of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Produce in us such a harvest that the whole world, anyone that looks at us, will see that you are alive and well in us and that our life is a reflection of Christ. And through that reflection, draw the whole world unto yourself. For we pray these things in the name and for the sake of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 
during this closing hymn, we'll have some prayer partners that'll come down front here, would be willing to pray with you. I invite them to come make their way forward right now. They'd love to pray with you, to invoke the Holy Spirit, to come and invade your life. Or if there's something else you'd like someone to pray with you about, they're there for that too. Come, we're a church that believes in prayer. Avail yourself of the power of prayer that's available to you.